I am your host, Mike McGrath. I will appear in person to entertain and enthrall all you cats and kittens at the Exeter Public Library in Reading on Wednesday, June 7th at 6 p.m. You'll find more information at the events section of our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You're listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden. From the bird-loving studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it is time for another high-flying hour of chemical-free horticultural hijinks. You bet your garden. I'm your host, Mike McGrath. Do you feed birds bird seed unnecessarily in the summer? Do you feed them much-needed suet in the winter? On today's show, we will clarify why we advocate feeding birds in the winter and once again beg you to leave them alone in the summer. And of course, we'll take lots of your fabulous phone call questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and infuriously irate iterations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here at Cats and Kittens, because it's all coming up faster than you having more birds than you know what to do with right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, P.A. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, a master gardener from western New York does not like my humor and does not like what she thinks was the advice I've been spouting about feeding birds. We'll get to both of those daring and dangerous topics when we get to the question of the week. In the meantime, first, I have to explain my T-shirt for people who haven't seen it over the past two weeks. Um, All I need to say is if kryptonite is illegal, only criminals will have kryptonite. 888-492-9444. I've really lost it. 888-492-9444. Carlin, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, Mike. Hello, Carlin. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? <laughs> I'm better than all right. I'm ducky. All right. Where are you, Carlin? I am based in uh, Clifton, New Jersey. Oh, okay. The Garden State. Well, you're here to give us gardening tips, right? Oh, I hope not. <laughs> all right. I've just been handed a set of pictures that apparently you emailed us uh, that I missed. You have a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. I have a very sad little sort of Christmas tree, yeah. <laughs> All right. Tell us the sad, sad story, Carlin. Well, about two years ago, I moved into a uh, an apartment, and I got at, at like, a grocery store garden center mm-hmm. type space. This little um, shape looked just like a little Christmas tree. I forget Aww. exactly what it was. Um, and it didn't do too great. It did okay for a few months, and then it kind of started dying. I put it outside a couple of times thinking maybe it would do a little bit better in natural sunlight. Mm-hmm. Um, 
natural rain, et cetera. It did okay, and then it's almost died a few times over the last couple of years. And I finally, I got it coming back, um, watering it more frequently. That seems to have helped a lot. Mm-hmm. But I just, I'm hoping for tips on how to kind of revitalize it a little bit more, I guess. Somebody told me your cat set on it. That's a different plant. That, we can do a different question. <laughs> all right, Carlin. First of all, I'm looking at the festive picture here. Um, you know, remember what the Peanuts gang said. I guess it really is a good tree, Charlie Brown. And I can lie with the best of them. It wants to live. Well, there's... I'm trying to identify it, but it's like the coroner would say there's there's we'll have to go for dental records. So <laughs> um, it looks like it's still in the original container. Yes, it is. OK. Um, and you've had it for two years. Yeah. And has the Red Cross come by to offer it blankets and chocolate and a lawyer? You know, I mean, I've tried. OK. Uh, do you have any potting soil at home? Um, compost? Anything? I could get potting soil. Okay. What I'm going to suggest is, um, do you have a, a, for instance, my house is the house of pots. I've got (laughs) hundreds of old pots around. Uh, Do you have access to a container about twice this size? I could get one. Okay. Um, Ask your gardening friends. There's really no reason to buy these things new. Um, So what I'm going to suggest is you turn this thing on its side and you roll it around a little bit and then you pull it out. I suspect it is so root bound, it will come out as if it was still in the pot. So then you very mm-hmm. you very gently beat the soil around the roots, um, fill up your new container, half full of potting soil, put it in the kitchen sink. You may have to put something on top of it because these things are so light, they float. And after an hour, okay. it should be saturated. Uh, put it in the drain uh, drain board. Is that a real word? Is that the word? You know, dish rack? I don't know. Um, and then put it into its new container. Do not plant it any lower than it was in this pot. Um, and, you know, if there's too much soil in there, take it out. If there's not enough, put more in and then fill in around the sides and repeat the, um, the watering of sitting in the sink with a couple inches of water in it. Then, okay. and by the way, if you see bad roots, rotten roots, dead roots, you can prune them out. One thing I rarely talk about, if I've ever talked about, is the benefits of root pruning, especially for a plant that's been abused, no offense. Um, <laughs> yeah. we, uh, we are making a call to child services right now, by the way, Carl. And All my other plants are okay. This is the, just the one that's really struggling. Okay. And um, I would, you know, it's hard to tell what it is. Um, and there's no chance you have a plant tag or can go find one. Um, at, Not anymore, no. At a supermarket. No, no you'd, you'd recognize a new one, right? I might recognize a new one. Yeah, it was like fleeced or something on the tips at the time, too. Fleeced? I don't you know if that's... Not, yeah, it was like... Um, flocked? They had done something to the tips so that it was like white and whatnot. Oh, plant abuse! <laughs> so, um, until we know better, uh, I'm going to say keep this inside. 
Uh, don't put it in direct sun, especially until we find out what it is. Uh, Okay. Uh, what do they call it? Dappled shade, dappled sunlight. You know, don't don't mm-hmm. fry it. Like with an orchid, you want uh, bright light but indirect light. So after everything is settled for about a week, you're going to take pruners and you're going to cut off the worst of the bottom branches, um, the dead ones, Carlin. Okay. And okay. and ones that just don't look appetizing, so to speak. And then what I would suggest is you wrap the pot to hide the fact that the bottom is bare. You know, gift wrap, something like that. And, you know, keep it evenly watered. That means not sopping Mm -hmm. wet. Get like a chopstick or something and push it down into the soil. If the bottom of the chopstick or similar device is wet, it is not yet time to water. But if the plant feels really light in its container and there's no water in the bottom, then it's time to take off the wrapper and give it a really good soaking. But plants can survive much better with less water than with too much water. Okay, piece Mm, of cake, can of corn. (laughs) Sure. All right, and call back and tell us about the cat that sat on the other plant. You got it, I will. (laughs) All right, you take care. You too, thank you. Bye-bye. Andy, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you for having me. I'm in Norman, Oklahoma. All right. What can we do you for, Andy? So um, two years ago, I put in my first raised bed, and mm-hmm. I was really happy with the results. And so I put in two more raised beds this year. Mm-hmm. And the two raised beds I put in this year performed really, really well. But the raised bed from the year before, my plants literally like were emaciated and dying. I had to transplant them out of that first raised bed and into the second two. And so now that I'm at the end of the harvest season and I have my beds empty, I wanted to know what I really needed to do to prepare them for next spring so that all three were productive. Okay, let's start with what did you fill them with? The first year I used uh, just a hodgepodge of organic uh, dirts and, um, and fertilizers. And the second year I bought two square tons of um, zoo compost from our local door, and that really worked out fantastic. Zoo compost. Yeah, we have from the Oklahoma City Zoo. It's just compost that they collect from the zoo. I forget which uh, zoo uh, was one of the first to actually brand theirs. They called it Zoo Do. Oh, that's fantastic. And it was almost all elephant poop, which is highly fibrous. I Uh, couldn't tell you. It was a pretty good mix match of of dirt, and it wasn't hot. And um, I pretty much took my seedlings straight into it, and they they did just fine. That's great. Um, So you know your mistake. You just told me. Oh, what is it? I don't need to be Columbo with you. Um, The first bed was poorly prepared. You know, you can use organic fertilizers if you like, but you must rely on fertile soil. There's an old line in my business. Feed your soil, not your plants. So I think you just need uh, another load of Zoodoo. People misunderstand the concept of manures. It's not just the stuff the animal was done with. It's always mixed with bedding. There's always straw to keep the floors clean or, you know, something like that. So the bedding is dry brown material, 
and the manure is wet green material, no matter what color it is, and that's a perfect combination to make good compost. And I would think there wouldn't be a lot of bird manure or horse manure in there, so it wouldn't be overly high in nitrogen. It sounds like the perfect combination. So working backwards, your two newer beds, um, yes, I would add a fresh inch or two inches of uh, your Zoodoo. Okay. Yeah, it was a real hodgepodge of different bags of stuff until I got to the full height of my bed because I made a really deep bed. It ends up, it ended up being uh, about um, 16 inches deep. Oh, that's perfect. That's absolutely perfect. Um, I would get rid of at least half of it and spread it around other plants or give it to okay. some unsuspecting person walking by. And then uh, don't mix it up, but add... Um, fresh um, zoo manure on top. Right on the top, and don't mix it in, just like... No, no, you don't want to start... replace that level. Okay. You're going to start having seed, uh, weed seed problems if you do that. All right? Wonderful. I really appreciate your time. I enjoy listening to your show. Thank you for your help. Thank you. 888-492-9444. Philip, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hey, hello, Mike. How you doing? I'm just ducky, Phil. How are you? I am ducky as well. All right. And where is Phil Ducky? I live in northern Illinois, um, just south of Rockford, Illinois. Okay, very good. Um, always nice to hear from the Heartland. What can we do you for? Yeah, uh, reason I was calling, I had a question about overwintering peppers. Um, I've been overwintering peppers now for three years, based on your advice. Right. And um, I still can't stop buying new peppers every spring. Right. So at at this point, I've got peppers as tall as four feet and some as short as six inches. And uh, my question was, am I able to perhaps prune some of the taller ones so I can fit more pepper plants under the same row of lights um, and get the intensity on, on all of the main set the leaves on each plant? I think you're going in the wrong direction. Now, I have a lot of tall pepper plants. They're doing really well so far this winter. And I have, like you, some peppers that I'd started just this season, and they're not very tall. So what I do is the pots with the tall ones are generally big enough to arrange the little ones on top of the soil. Or you simply create... Um, a berm, so to speak, and you put wood blocks or bricks or books or, you know, old car batteries underneath the short ones to get them up closer to the light. Or if you have these new deformable LED lights, what they call garage lights, you can hang, mm -hmm. you can hang one over the tall plant uh, plants and you can hang another one. They generally come in pairs. Uh, lower for the small ones, but I, I would not prune them. Um, yeah, I, I just, I'm not really in favor of pruning most of the time. And, you know, if you're doing this correctly and you've got good light and it's warm in there, you're getting flowers, right? You're getting peppers. Yeah, yeah, I am getting flowers still. Uh, been, they've been inside for well over a month now and still getting some production. Oh, yeah. Than my prior years. Oh, um, 
again, if it's warm enough, which means, you know, 60 degrees or over, and if you've mm -hmm. got the right lights and these deformable, I don't know why they're calling them that, LEDs, these so-called garage lights, um, are very inexpensive to buy and to run. Um, this is the first full year I've been experimenting with them, and the peppers are responding beautifully. I've also got basil growing out there, salad greens, which I never did well with over winter inside before. And I really recommend them. And rather than decrease your yield, which is never a good idea, if you have as many as I do, you can be picking ripe peppers every day. Again, as long as the mm -hmm. temperature is controlled where they are. And um, I see no reason to reduce the number of peppers you can have over the winter. If you do this right, I, I get a fresh ripe pepper every day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely do that too. How do you uh, suspend the, those garage lights then over your plants? You get what's called a trouble light. Um, that is a long cord with a, um, a regular uh, light bulb adapter at, at the business end. And you can, you know, the deformable lights fit right in there. And then you just use hooks or something uh, to move them up or down to the height that you like. Okay. All right. Yeah, I'll definitely do that. Uh, I've, I've been using some of those in other spots in my house just for lighting. Mm -hmm. So uh, I will definitely look into that. That would be nice. Yeah. No, it sounds like you're doing great. Um, if you've, and You have to admit, after two or three years, the trunks of those peppers look like little trees, right? Yeah, my neighbors asked what what kind of trees I had outside uh, this year, and I was like, yeah. oh, those are my peppers. So, yeah, yeah, they're doing really well. <laughs> yeah, keep up the good work. Uh, you don't sound like you need any help at all. All right, all right, fair enough. I was overthinking it. Thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. Good luck to you. Bye bye. Yep, thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear in person to entertain and enthrall all you cats and kittens at the Exeter Public Library in Reading on Wednesday, June 7th at 6 p.m. You'll find more information at the events section of our website, youbetyourgarden.org. I'm your traveling man, Mike McGrath, and you are listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, very silly, Mike McGrath. And coming up later in the show, we will talk about my philosophy of feeding the boys. You may not like what you hear, but if you do love wildlife, you might take at least some of it to heart. Okay? In the meantime, more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Thomas, welcome to you, Betcher. Yes, Mike. Yes, sir. How are you? 
10,000 questions answered in one hour. McGrath, right? <laughs> you used to come to my old lectures, huh? Oh, yeah. I, I Man, I enjoyed that, I'll tell you. I, I think I claimed 367, um, you know, just for fun. But one time I, right. did, I did that act, and there's a woman sitting in front of me with a notebook, and she's making check marks, and I realize she's counting them, you know? <laughs> <laughs> All right, where There's are you, man? There's always someone. There's always someone. Yep. Where are you? Bristol, Pennsylvania. Ah, I used to live in Bristol. Right, right. Uh, Red Red Cedar. Right, Red Cedar Drive in the castle. It was mag. That's where I had my first garden. What uh, year was that? Oh, late seventies through eighty four. Ah. My first garden was 74. Oh, okay. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, I was originally a medical writer. <laughs> so I became smart late in life. Now everybody wants uh, to well, be my friend because they won't starve to death in the coming apocalypse. That's right. You're the guru. Yeah. All right. What can we do for you? Uh, well, I've been having a first year. I've been having this type of problem with pepper pest. Oh. Someone's eating them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you send me pictures? Yeah, yeah. They're, it's like it's um, whatever it is. It's biting like like these uh, holes in the hot and sweet peppers. And but not but not my cayenne types or that Carolina Reapers or anything like that. They could be the big chilies and yeah. something that's wide and and kind of thick. It seems like they and they. I don't know if it's uh, slugs or insects. Well, when you originally you sent me an email. Uh, with pictures, right. yours were torn apart. I mean, just savaged. Right. And, the, the hole was pretty big, and sometimes it would go almost the length of the pepper. Yeah, I know. And what did I, I – it took me a while. I originally thought that slugs were eating your peppers and working around the holes of pepper weevils. Uh, but I did send you back a response saying it was a fly, Right. Right, the right. The possibility of a fly. I sent you a picture, but of a fly, but of course I couldn't get a really good picture of it. But <laughs> it was kind of blurry. It was enough to know that it was there, um, and that that sent me on to um, searching websites for pepper pests slash flies, and immediately uh, this insect, which you know. We live in the same state. We live in the same part of the same state. And I have never, never, and I would, I would fall to the ground and cry if anything like this happened to my peppers. Peppers are one of my favorite things to grow. Uh, but it is a fly, and I presume it lays its egg inside the pepper. Um, it's a while back. I'm not remembering this perfectly. And then the larva does the damage from inside. Or the fly probably lays its egg on the outside, and then um, the maggot, really, for flies is the correct term in the larval form, um, opens up a hole and goes inside and starts chewing away. Yeah, because I, I would open the pepper all the way, look through it, see if I could find anything inside. And there's never anything inside except maybe once in a while I would see something flying out like a big gnat. Yeah. 
That's the pepper fly. But you wouldn't see anything because the maggot uh, would reach adulthood and then fly out. The holes are as big as a door, you know. Uh, right. <laughs> now, didn't I see in one of your pictures that you were already using floating row covers? I, I, I did have uh, uh, floating row co- uh, covers uh, before, yeah. That's what but I... No, not, not... Go ahead. No, I, I, didn't, I didn't use it on those pepper plants, though. Yeah, but you should have, right? Yeah, I guess. But this, you know, I got peppers. I got tons of peppers. And all of a sudden, the past three weeks, it seems like... This word, there was this invasion. Oh, okay. Good. Well, it wasn't there the whole year. Well, good. Now you've established the emergence time of this insect pest. So you, I, I would suggest you can probably grow your peppers unprotected until it didn't move in until September, right? Right, right. At the, I was picking them all, and I because I, I, I plant like a large variety of sweet and hot. Yeah, like twenty, maybe maybe there's like forty eight plants out there. There, you can never go overboard with pepper plants. I love them. I, I've, I've been giving, I've given all over the place. A Mexican restaurant, Indian restaurant. <laughs> so what I would do is um, at the end of August, I would cover the plants uh, as much as possible with floating row cover. Now, if you go to a high-end um, uh, uh, independent garden center, you should be able to find. Uh, in a, or I have lost my language this week. Uh, rolls of it, rolls of it, like rolls of paper towels. So right. you can you can cover your beds um, without too much expense. Uh, one of the issues with peppers, of course, is you don't want to weigh them down or anything. So right. maybe build a couple of supports here and there, but make sure that the um, that the bottoms of the uh, the big retail term is remay. That's you know some even if it's not the remay brand, that's what people will call it. So right. uh, you know, get a couple of rolls of remay, protect your plants. Just make sure you use bricks or something to hold the bottoms down. Yeah, I have plenty of those around because I, I, I used it before, and also they, they, this never happened. This is really strange. And the plants, my plant pepper plants are like five, six feet tall. Yeah. So um, two possibilities. One is the crazy weather we had blew these pests out of their native range and onto us. That's how army worms uh, do their thing. They travel on the wind, not, not as worms, not as caterpillars, but as moths. Um, the other, it's our old bugaboo, climate change. Um, yeah. it, is, it is real, it's devastating. I saw uh, a PBS special on this just like a week or two ago where uh, researchers spent a year deliberately trapped in ice um, so that they could measure what was happening under one of the thickest ice flows. And it, it just made you want to cry. Um, water levels are, are going to go up by feet. And um, I noticed that the difference uh, started maybe a, a dozen or so years ago. I started getting my... Um it seems like the vegetables have been coming earlier. Yes. Mm-hmm. 
They're ripening earlier. I'm picking them earlier. Well, and it's one of the reasons, and this really impacted me, and it makes perfect sense. When there was a lot of ice, the sun's rays were reflected. But when there's a lot of open water, the sun's rays are absorbed, and that starts melting the ice closest to the open water. And how do you get off that treadmill? But, um, you know, hope, hopefully the, the what, what is the nearby river? Is it the Delaware to you? The, Del- the Delaware is like um, about a, not even a half mile from me. Yeah. So uh, put your garden up on stilts and hope for the best and yeah. <laughs> get that row covering stuck. Okay, uh, man. Yeah, I, I'm satisfied with the production, but that kind of stuff uh, that freaked me out. Seeing that, like I, I've never seen it in all my years. It it might have been a freak thing, um, but always plan. Always have the material ready, and don't wait. You know, get it get it up a week or two earlier than you think you yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. If I put it like at the beginning of September or something. That sounds like a plan. All right. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. My pleasure. You take care. 888-492-9444. Deb, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you, Mike. How you doing, Deb? Very good. Very good. It's a beautiful day out there. Excellent. And where is it a beautiful day? In Morgantown, Pennsylvania. So what's up? What can we do you for? Well, I had the opportunity to listen to you many years ago talking about Mexican sunflowers. Ah, Tithonia. And uh, they're wonderful. And I had the hardest time finding them out here. So I finally asked a friend who has a greenhouse, and she ordered some seeds. And, oh, gosh, this must be six, seven years ago. She planted them for me and gave me the seedlings. Well, they took off, and everybody would stop by and say, what are those flowers? They're amazing. And they'd be covered in butterflies. Yep. So I kept harvesting the seeds. And every year I give them away. And I was amazed to find that so many people enjoyed them and how well they did. Uh, One friend uh, planted hers in uh, mushroom soil. Ah. And it wound up being, they they were going 12 feet tall. Uh It was amazing. Yeah. So anyhow, they they did really well and we enjoyed doing them. My grandkids love taking pictures of the butterflies. And when the pandemic hit, and we had lockdown. It was really difficult. Uh, I have two grandchildren, uh, nine, and, 9 and 11 at the time, and I did all their homeschooling with them because their parents were both first responders. Oh, so yeah. God bless it them. Was a, it was a very busy time for Grandma. And uh, for exercise, we'd walk the two-and-a-half-mile loop by our house. Right. And everybody was depressed. It was just a hard time. So trying to think of some... Fun things to do, I had Michaela, my granddaughter, decorate seed packets, and we put the seeds in them. And we put little, she put little notes, stay home, be safe, and things like that on there, and we put them in mailboxes. And we did every day, we'd go out and do another 10, 20 of them, and we did it the whole summer, and we never put any names on them. So Michaela one day was kind of, I don't know if anybody cares about these. Nobody will know. You know, everybody's down. And we made the turn, and there's a big banner with balloons saying, thank you, Michaela. And she was just thrilled. So it became the thing to get everybody all our seeds. And it was a wonderful, wonderful event for her. 
and we wound up seeing at the end of the summer so many houses with Mexican sunflowers around them. Well, and it really was all because of you. Well, yes, all good things come from me. I thought <laughs> I thought everybody knew that already. I've been doing this what for two hundred years now. Oi. Well, I have to. Well, it really. I have to say that this is a, a great story, and Mexican sunflowers, Tithonia, mm -hmm. are an amazing plant. They are butterfly magnets. Um, every, and bees, too, by the way. Well, bees like to pollinate, and the more, mm -hmm. they, the more they pollinate, the more flowers you're going to get and the more seeds you're going to get. We but one find of the, the bees resting a lot. A lot of times you'd see them and they'd stay in the same flower for like an hour. You know and why? Just rest and then take off. You know why? Why? They're drunk. Yeah. Oh, on the honey? On well, the pollen? Well, the pollen. Uh, the pollen and mm -hmm. nectar. Um, mm -hmm. Tithonia is an amazing, rich source, amazingly rich source of pollen mm -hmm. and nectar. And in, in one sense, it, it helps the monarchs on their journey down to Mexico because Tithonia mm -hmm. blooms beautifully in the late summer and that's when the monarchs are starting their migration. So if you can imagine flying 2,000 miles and you're just mm -hmm. a butterfly, yeah. uh, they will stop every place they see Tithonia and they'll gas up, they'll fuel up. <laughs> and it is such a rich source of protein that it really helps them make that journey successful. And it's just an amazing plant. And the more people who plant it, uh, the more the butterflies will flourish and the monarchs uh, will be fed on their way back to their breeding grounds. Now, also the bees. Yes, I've seen this before. When bees come to a very rich pollen and nectar source, Sometimes they drink a little too much from the tap. <laughs> and just like us, oh, man, that was like three times what I wanted to eat for lunch. It's nap time. That's it. They were napping, definitely. They were. Um, uh, and, and they are and were so important to us humans. No bees, no food, no beer. And the Mexican <laughs> sunflowers, if you're a butterfly enthusiast, Get some seeds. Get them now because seeds mm -hmm. are selling out very rapidly. So get your order in now and grow mm -hmm. them out or make sure your local nursery is going to have Tithonia plants for you. Uh, but you won't Well, the Morgantown be... Market will be giving them out for free again this year also. Excellent. We give them out to anybody who walks in the door. Is that where you are right now? Yes, yes, the Morgantown Market. All right. Uh, well, you got a million dollars worth of publicity there. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope everybody comes in to get free seeds. That would be awesome. Great. But we also did find that mushroom soil worked very well with them, with my uh, first, enhanced the flowers. My very first garden at our current home was built on a huge delivery of mushroom soil. And I don't, oh, know, wow. if, I don't know if you know the plant Impatient, the shade-loving yes. flower. They were six feet tall. It was amazing. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All well, right. My one friend, it was over her tree, so they were really neat. Yeah. But, Mike, again, thank you so much. It was really a great thing for us to do, and it was all because of you. We found out this flower, and 
I'll keep watching and listening. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you for helping out during this really trying time. Um, Yes. There's no no lack of need for the kind of thing that Mm -hmm. you did. And thank you for doing it. Keep it up. Say hello to your granddaughter. And have a great holiday. Okay. Thank you, Mike. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear live and in person down the shore this summer. I'll be appearing for the Avalon Free Public Library at Surfside Park in Avalon, New Jersey on Monday, July 31st at 7 p.m. It's an outdoor on-the-lawn event, so bring blankets, chairs, and maybe even a dinnertime picnic basket. The event is free, and we can skedaddle indoors if weather is less than clement. You'll find more information on all these activities at the events section of our website. I'm your traveling man, Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the Univest Studios at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to another thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we are in the stretch now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we will get to a philosophical discourse about voids and whether we help them or harm them by feeding them in certain ways. You should not miss it. All you got to do is stay tuned through a couple more of your fabulous phone calls at 888-492-9444. Robert, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hello. Hello, Robert. How are you? I'm doing fine. Yourself? I'm just Ducky, thanks for asking. Ducky's wearing a... um, a Christmas hat, so um, if I touch him, he'll probably fall over. Uh, where are you, Robert? I'm here in uh, in in, in uh, West Berlin, in New Jersey. Oh, right. As a child, that always fascinated me, that New Jersey had a Berlin. I imagined a wall down the middle of it. Uh, what can we do for Robert in the Garden State? Well, I, I had uh, a problem with... Uh, my seeds not germinating. Right. Um, uh, have you successfully started seeds before? Yes. Oh, okay. Uh, so what kind of seeds? And tell me a little bit about what you did. Well, I, I had I had uh, planted bean seeds uh, after the danger of the first frost All right. back in, uh, in uh, April, and they, they did not germinate. Oh, so this is not indoor seed starting. Uh, you put the seeds in the ground, which is typical yes. for bean seeds. Where did you get the seed? Well, I, I got the seeds from, from, from a mail order uh, a packet. They were in a packet. Yeah. And did- and uh, they, they so many seeds in a packet, and they say uh, one packet should do like a 25 feet, yeah. uh, plant it six inches apart. Did you complain? No, I, I didn't complain to anybody. 
I just accepted that, and then I waited a, a later, and I planted them the second time, and they did not germinate. Oh. And I planted them the third time back in, in, in May, and they partly germinated, but the plants didn't grow. Um, do you think you were planting all of these runs a little bit too early? It's not danger of frost. It's temperatures below 50 degrees. Um, oh. So if the soil is cold, and especially if it's wet, um, direct seeded crops like uh, beans and corn tend to rot before they can germinate. So okay. it's the same advice as I tell people, um, you know, putting out tomato plants. Wait until the nights are reliably in the 50s or above. Um, and make sure your 10-day forecast shows that. Now, if there's any mulch on the soil, rake that off um, a good two weeks before you start planting. That will warm up the soil, which will help. There is also, I, I can't call it a product, but there's something called pea and bean inoculant. This is a yes. natural, yeah, did you inoculate? No, no, I, I, I did not inoculate. Okay, I think you just have to be a little bit more patient with the weather, um, use the inoculation. Is that a real word? Um, and what happens uh, with this beneficial bacteria is your plants will partially feed themselves with nitrogen from the air, which is really cool. And okay, well, 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 what happened was that the third time I planted, uh, tried to plant them was in May, and uh, they, they partly germinated, but the plants uh, didn't grow to full maturity. They sort of, sort of, you know, like got about three or four, five inches tall and, and didn't do anything. Did, was the soil exceptionally wet this season? No, I, I have like a sandy loomy soil. Right. And and uh, it was uh, partially, well, it wasn't dry, dry, but 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 uh, it, it had moisture in it. Yeah, okay. And did you feed the plants anything? Well, I, I started off with, with fertilizer 510-5. Uh, uh, That's not bad. Yeah. Well, and, and, but, I'll tell but, you but what. Just, just, just didn't produce anything. I'll tell you what. First of all, buy your seeds from a different source this coming season and okay. order okay. them early because seeds are selling out really fast. It wouldn't be okay. it wouldn't be wrong to order them now. And okay. then wait until nights are reliably in the 50s, warm up your soil, use the inoculant and um, there's something else I was going to say. Um, I think that's really it. Uh, oh, oh, germination yes. test. When are you ready to plant, uh, take some of the seeds, like five or seven, and put them in between wet paper towels. Not soaking okay. wet, but wet enough. And put, yes. the, put those paper towels inside a Ziploc, but don't zip it. And you should, they should be sprouting after five to seven days. If they're not, there's something wrong with the seeds, not you. Okay, okay, I should do that. Okay, man? Yes, sir. All right, well, you have a great season next year, 
And I'll tell you from personal perspective, men only learn from mistakes. We learn nothing from success. Okay. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. All right. Thank you. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye. Yes, it is. Once again, time for the question of the week, which we're calling the good and the bad of food for the birds. Sounds like a Clint Eastwood movie, doesn't it? Anyway, a master gardener whose name I have withheld because sometimes I actually have some common sense in Western New York State writes, I have listened and now watched on TV this supposed expert on growing plants while barely tolerating his idiotic phrases like cats and kittens. He must consider himself a comedian, but falls way short. I will no longer watch or listen to his bombastic drivel. I kind of like that. Last week's show where he cautioned listeners not to feed birds in the winter because it is leading to their extinction was the final straw and proves that he needs to engage brain prior to opening mouth. I live in Buffalo, where we help the birds survive by providing food, water, and shelter, and will continue to do so. Last year, eight bluebirds arrived in the middle of a snowstorm. Hey, come on, that can happen in June in western New York. Luckily, we had mealworms to feed to the birds until the weather warmed. I don't believe that they would have survived otherwise. McGrath need not make uneducated statements of which he knows not. Goodbye and good luck. Woo! Don't hold back, O oh name withheld Master Gardener. How do you really feel? Anyway, I'd like to add that yours is the first such email we've received in close to five years. All the other listeners and viewers seem to realize that our show is a blend of organic gardening advice and attempted humor, which should be evident from the one-minute billboard that begins every TV, radio show, and podcast. A digression. When I was first starting out on NPR, the show was live, and as a result, much wackier than what I consider to be the tamer shows of today. Back then, my executive producer would come into the studio after every show and say, Mike, you got to give up this comedy thing. It's a gardening show. My reply, if this was just a gardening show, it would close on Saturday night. Now, on to Boyd's. Specifically, the Bluebirds, our master gardener mentions. Members of the Thrush family, my research shows that some eastern bluebirds migrate south, while some overwinter in their breeding grounds. But they don't like freezing temperatures, and because our master gardener is in a frigid area of the country, it is likely that those rescued bluebirds flew back north a little too early. And I expect that our master gardener did a good amount of research on them, because Cornell and other reliable sources specify mealworms as their top human-provided food. So you did good, O oh nameless one, and thank you. I learned something when I researched the topic. But that leans into my correct stance on this issue. 
I have long supported and heartily encouraged feeding birds high-protein, high-fat foods in the winter in areas that get really cold. That's why I advocate hanging suet feeders near your garden when temperatures drop. But mealworms are also an excellent winter food for birds that eat insects most of the time. However, I also recommend taking down those suet feeders in the spring. So chickadees, woodpeckers, bluebirds, etc. will move on to eating overwintering garden pests. No seed feeders. They spread disease by the unnatural crowded congregations they cause. The last two seasons have seen extremely problematic and rather nasty diseases traced back to bird feeders. There is also the very real issue of training baby birds to rely on human feeding instead of learning to find food in the wild, which those birds have been doing for thousands of years without human intervention. Hint, hint. The Humane Society has been campaigning for years to at least stop feeding during the nesting baby bird season for this very reason. Feeding birds seed in the spring, summer, and fall is 100% for human amusement and may actually harm the birds. I personally stopped feeding seed in the summer some 30 years ago, and my place is lousy, lousy with birds. Every morning and evening sounds like four symphony orchestras flung together. You, all of yous, can do whatever you want here, but please think about the consequences of your feeding, and please take down your feeders if you see sick birds. But again, I agree with our master gardener about water. Natural food may be abundant in the summer, but natural water sources typically dry up for extended periods. So place as many bird baths as possible and put them in the center of your garden so the birds will pass over your plants and dine on tomato hornworms on their way in and out. And if you can swing it, heated bird baths in the winter are a great idea in colder regions. Please be sure to empty, clean, and refresh, refresh? I guess that's like flush, right? Please be sure to empty, clean, and refresh the water as often as possible, both to get rid of bird poop and to prevent mosquito breeding in the warmer months. It now occurs to me that our master gardener and I are of the same mind. Her use of mealworms for the bluebirds was snap-on, and her mention of water and shelter are also in line with my philosophy. P.S. If you still have a cut Christmas tree hanging around, stand it up in your backyard and hang suet feeders from it to provide both winter food and shelter. The only issues I see are our master gardener mishearing that show and her opinion of my humor. All of you, please check your source material before you start typing. That's for everything. And as to the alleged humor, I do not want this show to close on Saturday night.
Well, that sure was a controversial take on the practice of feeding birds, now wasn't it? Luckily for you, the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. To read it over at your leisure or your leisure with links to helpful sites, just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden question of the week, and you will always find the latest question of the week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes, my producer is threatening to steal my suet. If I don't get out of this studio, we must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 888-492-9444. I'm a trained professional, kids. Don't try this at home. Or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming towards our garden shore at ybyg at wlvt.org. Please tell us where you live. That's city, state, country, anything. You'll find all of our contact information at our website, youbetyourgarden.org, where you'll also find the answers to how many hundreds now of your garden questions. Audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video previous shows, and our podcast. I'm exhausted just thinking about it. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created when Carl Denham kidnapped him from Skull Island and tried to star him in a Broadway show that closed on opening night. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Joni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Norfleet. Check out her fine work and stay current with what's happening with the show every day at the Ubiter Garden Facebook page. And send her pretty pictures. Teresa Radke is our profound producer of Priceless Production. The lovely Jonas Bowen is our audio editor. Judicious Jake Boyer does the video. Our directorial director of direction, the harassed and harried Javier Diaz, wants to take a couple more weeks on. Zach Dattakwasneski is probably back in the house at this point as is or are Jacob Morris and the rest of the usual gang of idiots, including yours truly. Our beloved CEO, Tim Fallon, he's still snoring. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and I'm cleaning up after Christmas and still desperately trying to organize my comic books, baseball cards, CDs, and a much too large a collection of VHR tapes. Hey, at least they're not beta. And I will still be trying to do all of that when I see you again next week. You've been listening to an encore presentation of You Bet Your Garden. I am your host, Mike McGrath. I will appear live and in person down the shore this summer. 
I'll be appearing for the Avalon Free Public Library at Surfside Park in Avalon, New Jersey on Monday, July 31st at 7 p.m. It's an outdoor on-the-lawn event, so bring blankets, chairs, and maybe even a dinnertime picnic basket. The event is free, and we can skedaddle indoors if weather is less than clement. You'll find more information on all these activities at the events section of our website, youbetyourgarden.org.